engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB. A prosecutor has announced this afternoon that he's going to file murder charges against three Washington County Sheriff's deputies uh, for tasing a 58-year-old man to death. Uh, he was acting suspiciously. Um, the prosecutor is going to go for felony murder, involuntary manslaughter, false imprisonment, aggravated assault, simple battery, and misconduct charges against the three police officers. You may remember this case, July 8th. Uh, Uri Lee Martin, he was walking along the road in Sandersville. Now, there was no evidence presented. He was breaking any laws, but the police officers came upon him and they tased him and he died. Um, so that is happening. I want to start, though, uh, with the Etowah High School situation. Because there was another situation there today, rumors spread uh, that led to police officers going to two schools in Cherokee County uh, after the Etowah High School situation. Uh, there's the Etowah High School and the E.T. Booth Middle School campus uh, that were involved. Now, bringing you guys up to speed on this, uh, you know, my wife actually heard about this because she read about it on Facebook. She does not keep up with the news, uh, but we have the two... Uh, high school students, 17-year-olds, Alfred Dupree and Victoria McCurley, who were arrested earlier this week on attempted murder charges and other charges for allegedly threatening students, staff members, the campus itself, uh, homemade improvised explosive devices. They were essentially planning uh, what, one sh what the sheriff in Cherokee County called another Columbine. Not a good situation. Uh, they are uh, Dupree is of Ackworth, McCurley's of Woodstock, and Dupree, Alfred Dupree, kept a diary. And they had a list of students at the school, potentially of faculty as well, but we know of students who are target, were targets of theirs uh, that they wanted to kill. It is a, a horrifying situation, and someone reported them. We do not yet know who turned them in, uh, made a phone call, and got the police looking into the situation. Um, we have had we had a caller here at WSB the other night during Mark Aram's show who said he was the father of one of the students who had been targeted. Uh, we also have the situation uh, where we last night on this program had someone call who uh, claimed to go to a parent of one of the kids familiar with uh, Alfred Dupree who said that he had a close relative who just uh, overdosed on drugs and it, that there were home life issues, a terrible situation. And everyone, of course, asking the, the question of what leads two kids to do this. And we don't know a lot. There have been some suggestions of bullying now that have come out in the last 24 hours, some suggestions of comments on social media, which led some kids to be targeted. Um, I want to tread very carefully on saying something. Um, and I, I hope everyone understands my meaning here that it is not to be negative uh, because there are only two people to blame in the situation. Uh, and that is uh, the girl and the boy who will be tried as adults. But 
I am mindful from my own kids' situation in their school um, that there are bullies out there. And, I mean, we've had a situation with our kid where multiple parents felt the administration wasn't doing what needed to be done despite reports. And I sometimes wonder if other kids understand how their behavior is provoking uh, someone who already doesn't feel like they, who already knows they don't fit in. And if there's any soul searching at that level going on, again, there, there's no one responsible for uh, potential mass murder other than the two mass murderers, uh, but there are instigating events and uh, wonder how much reflection anybody is engaged in up there. And also uh, the home life of these two and what it was and how stable it was does make you wonder. Uh, events are still developing up there, and we continue to follow it here at WSB. The, the other story I want to talk about out of the gate today is Mark Halperin of NBC. He had been with ABC News. Uh, then over at NBC, he has been on MSNBC. Um, I think for a while he was with Bloomberg. Uh, the allegations about him were are old. Uh, there aren't, to my knowledge, a lot of recent allegations. But here's the thing. You know, I have been around the block in, in TV now. I actually started at television and moved to radio. And I have seen a number of people in television behave really badly, behave just awful people to those beneath them, not those above them. And one of the people I have observed in my, I guess, nine, ten years in television is Mark Halperin, the guy who has now been fired. And I, I, there, I, I do not know him. And I have only interacted with him a few times, and every time was civil, um, maybe two or three times over the course of nine years uh, that I ever interact with him. Um, but I have seen him and observed him. I've watched him. Um, it, we've been at different political conferences uh, where he was there, and it always stood out to me. The reason I, I observed him and noted him is because of how mean he was to other people, how awful he was to those who worked for him and beneath him. Um, and there were just, I, I distinctly remember three particular occasions where I just saw him snapping at people. And, and again, I, I saw this at a distance. Maybe there was justification, but it was all it was all three separate occasions to three different people, and it was all just like uncalled for. Like clearly the person didn't deserve what they were getting. The abuse. Yeah, okay, maybe there was a mistake, but to to handle it in that way, I it just it, it seemed inappropriate to me. But he's one of many. And I keep a list in my mind of people that I just wait to be exposed for some sort of awful behavior. And he was always on that list. Um, there, there are others. You know, this is one of the things people have said about O'Reilly in the past. You've seen the leaked videos of him treating people. It is, it's never how anyone in the media treats those who are above them or those who they want access to. It's always how they treat their staff. And that's not just people in the media. I shouldn't say that. It is everyone. It is how you tip a waitress at a restaurant. It is how you deal with the person who you're trying to, you've got a, your flight's been delayed or whatnot, and you're frustrated and tired. How do you deal with the Delta representative who's trying to get you rebooked? It is how do you deal not with the plumber, but the person who's giving you the plumbing appointment. It's, it's, it's how you deal with people who you don't want access to them. You just happen to have access to them.
people you view as beneath you, people who are not at your level, uh, people who are ancillary to you. Um, and I have always found I want nothing to do with the person who is nasty to those sorts of people. It is a reason why I dislike Rick Santorum. Uh, and I am not accusing Rick Santorum of anything here. Don't misunderstand me. Um, but I have had friends of mine who have worked for him, and I have seen him on the campaign trail in Iowa and elsewhere just behave not nice to people he didn't know, people who annoyed him. I, I've had friends of mine who worked for him on his staff who who said he behaved similarly. That's why I never cared for Santorum. And there are others out there. Uh, and I only bring up his name because I, I've mentioned it before. O'Reilly was someone who there were legendary stories about his behavior to others. Uh, and I, I've seen other people do this and I just keep a list in my head. But Halpern was one of them. I'm not surprised. Now, it apparently was an open secret at ABC. I, it was not an open secret to me. I mean, I didn't work at ABC. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, and I didn't know him. But I knew the few times that I had seen him, uh, he treated other people badly. And that's always a sign to me that there's more there there. It is a sign of a, a very flawed character when you do that. Uh, and I suspect we're going to hear more of these now. Uh, we're going to hear the, the floodgates are starting to open. In fact, I, I think it was Brian Stetzler at, at CNN. I think it was him. Don't hold me to it. But someone said he's uh, they've been approached now by multiple other people outing by name individuals in the news corps. And what is telling to me here is that the preachy American news corps is just, listen, there are bad people in every organization. There are. Whether it is a church or a news organization, there's a bad person somewhere because we're all sinners. But, 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 it is interesting to me to see the preachy people in the news be outed as some of the people who are just like Harvey Weinstein, the, the moral preeners who want us to live our life in a certain way, who want us to believe that bananas are apples and then run commercials that only apples are apples. Uh, these are the people that uh, maybe they need to stop moralizing. I'm going to stay local here on an issue that is going to enrage some of you I know. Elena Parent, who is a Democratic state senator in Atlanta, is, says she's going to pre-file legislation to allow local governments to get rid of Confederate monuments. There is currently a state law in Georgia that prohibits Confederate monuments from being relocated, removed, concealed, obscured, or altered in any fashion. That's the language. Uh, but governments can take action to preserve or protect the monuments. Um, now, uh, Decatur has passed a resolution uh, trying to get the legislature to allow them to get rid of a 30-foot obelisk outside their uh, county courthouse, former county courthouse. And they've also asked the county attorney to find a legal way to remove the monument. Now, there was a compromise floated a while back that would allow any city to get rid of Confederate monuments by allowing them to be moved to Stone Mountain. Uh, that is, is, uh, th that's not legislation. It, it may go somewhere. It may not. Um, here's my issue with this, and uh, this is we've got to go to Virginia. 
where 47, 48% of Democrats in Virginia are opposed to getting rid of Confederate monuments. Uh, 47% of black voters in Virginia are opposed to getting rid of Confederate monuments. Uh, 80-some-odd percent of Republicans are opposed, and 60-some-odd percent of independents are opposed. Um, It is a majority position in Virginia to not get rid of Confederate monuments, uh, that they should be viewed as part of the the cultural heritage, whether you like them or not, as opposed to propping up white supremacy or something. But it's all the rage these days to get rid of Confederate monuments. And I want to talk about it when we come back. We'll take your calls as well, 404-872-0750-1800. 800-WSB-TALK. People always like to know what I do during commercial break. I look at recipes. <laughs> oh, it's Eric Erickson here. It is 39 after the hour. The phone number is 404-872-0750, wsb talk And dare I say this, um, with Halloween on Tuesday, we're headed into the holiday season, and I am happy for you to buy my book for a present for people. Uh, text the word WAKE, W-A-K-E, to 444-999. Uh, it's a wonderful present for a new dad or an existing dad uh, or someone who likes to cook because of the recipes. I'm just going to leave that there with you. As we talk about the Confederate mon- monuments, um, Ed Gillespie is the Republican candidate for governor in Virginia. And the Democrat is Ralph Northam. And Gillespie has come out in favor of leaving the Confederate monuments in Virginia where they are, which is a majority position in Virginia. It is a a position that that, uh, more Democrats hold than oppose. It is a position that more black Virginians have uh, than oppose. It is a position um, that overwhelmingly majority of whites in Virginia have. It's a a 47, I want to say like 47-40 position among Democrats and roughly the same among black voters in Virginia. Uh, Overall, it's over 50%. All voters. And yet, uh, Brian Fallon, who's a CNN uh, contributor, who was a, a Democrat who worked with Hillary Clinton, worked for Barack Obama, uh, has been on Twitter today showing pictures of that white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, saying this is a picture of Ed Gillespie's campaign meeting. Um, it, it essentially saying, if you support leaving the Confederate monuments in place, you are a white supremacist. Never mind that more black voters in Virginia support that proposition than don't. I suspect this is a position that Democrats are going to overplay their hands with. Now, I will tell you where I come down on the matter in Georgia is I'm okay with local governments deciding um, local government issues. And if a local government has to use its taxpayer dollars to maintain property where a Confederate memorial is, then they should be allowed to deal with a Confederate memorial. Now, that does not mean I'm in favor of getting rid of them. If I was on a city council, I would support keeping them. I think it is a historic issue. Um, Most of the monuments here in Georgia were put up after the Civil War, not during Jim Crow era. They were to honor, uh, in many cases, fathers and grandfathers. I think they've gotten a bad rap from a lot of historic revisionists, uh, people who read Howard Zinn and aren't that bright. But I don't think that the state should impose one size fits all. There are very liberal places in the state like Decatur 
that want to get rid of their Confederate monuments. And I think they should be allowed to if they want to. There are conservative places in the state that don't. To a degree, I'm okay with the compromise of move them all to Stone Mountain. If your city wants to get rid of the monument, as long as they are respectful and not destructive and preserve the monument and cart it off to Stone Mountain, I don't have a problem with that, honestly. Because there are some areas of the state that have moved on, that want to move on, that feel like the statues are in angers, and they're they're overwhelmingly liberal. I have no desire to live in Decatur. I go to Decatur to restaurants on occasion, but even then, there are some awesome restaurants in Decatur, and I just don't care to go to Decatur. It is the one place I am guaranteed to encounter someone who knows who I am, who doesn't like me, and instead of being polite, is a jerk. I avoid Decatur like the plague if I can. But if they want to get out, if they want to get cart their monuments off, let them. I think it's a local issue. I think that politics at the at the most local level is politics at the best level. And you're allowed to have a difference of opinion. We should agree to uh, disagree respectfully. A one size fits all policy in the state, I think, is silly. I understand why they did it. And there was a lot of foresight because they saw what was coming. But still, that's my view on it. Now, I just, again, going back to the original point here with this, I think that Democrats are in the process of overplaying their hand on a lot of these cultural fights. And I think there's there's a lot of polling that bears that out as well, that uh, nationally, remember, nationally in 2016, I've seen several people circulating a tweet today from a prominent conservative saying in 2016, the polling was wrong. Um, it hasn't gotten any better. Actually, the polling in 2016 was right. The national polling in 2016 was right. It it came within, I think, uh, three quarters of a point of getting the election exactly right, with Hillary Clinton winning the popular vote. A poll is a measure of the popular vote, not of the Electoral College. Those of you who say the polling was wrong, you're wrong. But the polling, like the national vote, was weighted with people in California and New York. In fact, if you subtracted out the polling of people from California and New York, according to several pollsters I've talked to, you would have seen that Donald Trump was actually winning the national vote. But there is polling out there that suggests that among Democrats, Republicans, among black voters, among white voters, there is an exhaustion, as much with the Trump presidency, there is an exhaustion with the culture war, the never-ending culture war, the left's continued advancement, the left's continued belief that they are dominant, they are right, and dissent is not patriotic but must be stamped out. And the Confederate monuments play into this because it's not about the Confederate monuments. Um, they would not be going after statues of Abraham Lincoln it was about Confederate monuments. They would not be throwing red paint on statues of Teddy Roosevelt as happened in some college campus overnight uh, if it was about the Confederate monuments. It is about the revision of American history. It is about the repackaging of American history. Howard Zinn has probably done more damage to the brains of Americans than any other person. Howard Zinn wrote The People's History of the United States. He got basic historic facts wrong, and yet people on the left continue to read this book as if everything he wrote was true when the vast majority of it is a bunch of hooey. 
He was deeply uh, communist, anti-American, who wrote this this history of the United States uh, as victims and victimizers, packaged in that way, gets a bunch of, of uppity hipster college students to believe it, and they all go out charging, wanting to rewrite American history. They believe that American history started with sin, even though they don't believe in the concept of sin, and it needs to be purged, and the way you purge it is to upend society by getting rid of all the historic figures in America who are all, according to ours, in bad victimizers, from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln to you name it. Uh, And the problem is that if you allow groups to start dismantling these monuments, they're not going to stop at these monuments. And you may not believe it, but remember, I mean, this is the, it goes back to gay marriage. It, it, ten years ago, it wasn't on the agenda. People were saying, no, it's never going to happen. And people were saying, it is going to happen, and then they're going to start going after Christians. They said, no, no, no. Well, then it happened, and they're going after Christians. Don't believe them when they say they're going to stop at the Confederate monuments. That's just their initial pretext to begin the purge and rewriting of American history. Orrin Hatch, the senior senator from Utah, intends to retire. Mitt Romney wants to take his place. I'll get into that when we come back after commercial break. Right now, though, there is a story at ESPN, and it is essentially that the the, the the NFL is still in chaos. Uh, ratings are still causing all sorts of problems. We, we've got the owner of the Texans now apologizing after comparing the NFL protest to inmates running the prison. He should have said asylum, but it was easy for them to claim racism um, for him saying the prison. And you've got viewers fleeing the NFL, but viewers are also fleeing ESPN. That's the irony here. Uh, ESPN reporting this story, the the politicization of ESPN. You got the the barstool sports uh, fiasco at ESPN. Everybody should have known that was going to happen. Um, they've just everything is so political now with these guys, and they've invaded it with so much social liberalism, and they don't even see it because all of their friends in the bubble agree with them. So it's going to continue to cause them problems. When we come back, Orrin Hatch and Mitt Romney. One more hour till the weekend. Hallelujah. Well, your weekend may have started. Mine will start in an hour. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. So we now know some of what was in the Kennedy files. It appears that a couple of weeks before Lee Harvey Oswald uh, committed the assassination, that he was recorded speaking in broken Russian to a KGB agent. But this is actually the really interesting part of it. Um, it appears a British television service, part of the BBC, received a phone call 20 minutes before the assassination saying that uh, the top reporter there needed to call the American Embassy for news. It appears that the phone call was made by one of Lee Harvey Oswald's friends who is also a Soviet spy. So all things point to the Soviets except this. The internal communications within the Soviet Union leadership at the time believed it was a right-wing plot uh, to stop Kennedy 
who they believed they had a good working relationship with, that because they had a good working relationship with him, um, they believed that right-wingers in the United States had assassinated him, and this worked its way up through and was shared by the leaders in the Soviet Union. What it appears from the files, uh, these are some analysts this afternoon who were looking into it, suggest that it was more likely that Lee Harvey Oswald was connected to the Cubans, not to the Soviets, but the Cubans had sympathizers within the KGB who were far more radically Soviet than the Soviets were. And so it could have been uh, tied into Cuba. Also, uh, J. Edgar Hoover tried to get a confession out of Lee Harvey Oswald before he died after Jack Ruby killed him uh, because he was desperate for the public to believe that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald really was the shooter. Now, all of the filings released do are consistent that Lee Harvey Oswald was the assassin. I know there are still people, I've got relatives in my family who, who have conspiracy theories about second shooters, third shooters, CIA involvement, whatnot. And you know, there there is the CIA has kept some of its files uh, cut short because of national security reasons, and I suspect it had more to do with the Soviets and the Cubans than it had to do with the CIA itself. Those files still may be released in a few weeks. But it's just fascinating insight into a, a long-ago history that still gets people's curiosity up about what happened. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald killing Kennedy. And it, there was a fascinating article in the Claremont Review I read where um, essentially, Lee Harvey Oswald has been made some sort of martyr to conspiracy, people believing that he was not the lone gunman or that he even was the gunman, that he was set up. Uh, and there is no credible documentation out there to believe it, but people like to believe a conspiracy theory. I got loads of friends who believe loads of conspiracies. And as I said yesterday, in the age of fake news, it becomes easier to believe the conspiracy than to believe the truth. Um, much as there are so many people who are, are convinced to this day that um, Jesus of Nazareth died and his supporters stole the body and wove an elaborate conspiracy together that they were all willing to be executed for. It makes no sense when you really thought, think about it deep down, but boy, the conspiracy gets people excited, and the Lee Harvey Oswald one has gotten people long excited. And that's all I'm going to say about that. we got to move on because Mitt Romney wants to run for the Senate. Uh, well, it requires uh, one other event to happen, which appears that it's going to happen, has long been rumored to happen, and that is Orrin Hatch retiring. Orrin Hatch is the senior senator from Utah, and conservatives in Utah have been unhappy with Orrin Hatch for a while, but... Back in 2012, when Hatch ran again for re-election, he sounded all of the right notes for conservatives. He talked the talk of conservatives, and conservatives in Utah bought it. This is significant because in 2010, Bob Bennett was then the senior senator from Utah, and he ran for re-election and was challenged by Mike Lee and one other guy, um, yeah, I forget the guy's name, Bridgewater something, uh, in the Utah Republican primary. And the way Utah does it, and this is really a model that I think other states, including Georgia, should adopt. Utah has a convention, and Utah's voters gather at their convention, and if the incumbent gets 50-plus-1% of the vote, then the incumbent is the incumbent. And he's unchallenged and there is no primary. But if the incumbent is challenged 
and gets less than 50% of the vote, then he's on the ballot against whoever gets in. And the way they work it is they narrow it down to two. So, for example, Bob Bennett had these two other guys, and Bennett fell below 50%, and the other two guys got ahead of him. So Bennett fell out. Well, then they had those two, uh, the top two guys, Mike Lee and the other guy, they went on to the primary, and you had a primary between two people, so there's no runoff for the primary because you narrow down the ballot through the convention process. This is a great way for actual party members to control who actually is on the ballot because we've seen time and time again that when you have primaries like we do in Georgia, you can have Democratic crossover votes in to help shape the field. Well, if the incumbent gets over 50%, you're not going to have anybody even trying to do a crossover because there's going to be no primary. If the incumbent fails to get 50% of the vote but is still the number one guy, he and the number two guy are going to wind up on the ballot together. And if he's the number three guy in a three-way race in the convention, well, then he's out. He's done for. But it's all based on committed party activists. I really wish we did more conventions. Now, I know there are people who say, oh, well, the crazies can hijack the convention. That's true. The crazies can also hijack the primary process. Did you not pay attention to 2016? But Hatch knew there was conservative opposition to him, and he knew that he was going to have to fight. And he knew he was getting tired of being in Washington. He's tired of being an apologist uh, for the president. He doesn't really like the president that much. So he wants out. Mitt Romney wants to be the senior, he wants to be the junior senator. Mitt Romney wants to be the guy who um, goes and becomes an elder statesman in Washington without being there long because the media would love to, because, you know, he's called out Trump. The media would love this and he would probably be the front runner. I mean, you guys forget in Utah, Uh, Donald Trump didn't perform nearly as well as any other Republican in the last uh, 50 years on the ballot. He's not beloved in Utah, and they would love a Republican who could go and stand up to him. Now, Romney wants to be that guy. He wants to be the elder statesman. He wants to be the, if you will, the shadow president to a degree. And I think that's a fair statement. That's the way the media would love to set him up, and he can capitalize on that running for the Senate. He won't be a bad guy, and he'll be a reliable conservative vote. It's just he's he's not going to be for Trump. And this is a problem I think it's time we discuss. With Bob Corker leaving and Jeff Flake leaving and Orrin Hatch leaving and Susan Collins um, not having two poops to care, so to speak, um, it's going to be harder and harder for Donald Trump to get his agenda through a Senate that hates him. Lindsey Graham has apparently become the Trump whisperer taking the president to play golf, letting the president beat him at golf, and advising the president how to navigate things through the Senate. And it is to Graham's credit that this is the case because more and more of the Republicans in the Senate hate the president, even those who are with the president don't particularly care for him. And he's going to have a harder and harder time getting things actually done unless he figures out how to build bridges with some of these people who, because they're retiring, they couldn't care less. There's nothing the president can do to hurt them, and there's everything they can do to hurt the president. He needs to get a handle on this before it hurts his ability to get anything passed. Not that anything's gotten passed thus far. Y'all, I have discovered today the worst, worst idea imaginable. Southwest Airlines intends to do live music in-air concerts on some of its flights. 
I would rather we allow people to make phone calls. I would rather the person next to me be allowed to call and argue with their significant other on the plane than be captive to a concert on the plane. And they've apparently been doing this occasionally since 2011. Uh, it's grown in popularity as Southwest passengers hope their flight will be one of the lucky ones to feature a sure-to-go viral performance. I don't know who these passengers are who think they're lucky, but I would consider myself lucky to not be captive to someone in air playing music. No! I mean, I already wear my, my noise-canceling earbuds, and, and it's not like they have active noise-canceling. They're passive. They just work so well, my sure headphones. Um, there's just no way on God's good earth that I think this is a good idea. But Southwest apparently does. Hey, you, your your mileage may vary. Uh, God bless them. Um, if you want to be captive on that, I don't fly Southwest, and I probably won't start now. Uh, I, although I, I got to say this, all of my friends who fly Southwest, it's like a cult. They love Southwest Airlines. I mean, I do not know anyone who regularly flies Southwest who dislikes it. They love the airline. I'm a Delta guy. Um, I like having a first class that I can get upgraded to. I, I, am, I love my Delta, uh, even if I disagree with their, their executive suites politics, but Everyone I know who flies Southwest, particularly in Texas, in Texas, all of my friends out there, they love Southwest. They fly Southwest all the time. And I, I, I don't get it. I don't. Um, I especially don't get it with live concerts to their in-flight amenities. Um, this would annoy me. It would. I'm sorry. Some of you may love it. I think it, I, it would annoy me. And I'm glad to see that most of my friends on social media agree that this would be annoying. So anyway, there you have it. God bless you, Southwest, for trying this. It appears your passengers like it, which is probably why I'm just genetically predisposed to not be one of your passengers. But God bless you. <laughs> oh, uh, I will tell you where I am a regular customer, though. That would be Apple. And yes, I got up at 3 a.m., to order my iPhone X, and I'm not calling it the 10. I'm calling it the iPhone X uh, because it has the letter X. It doesn't have the number 10. Uh, the iPhone 8 has the number 8. The iPhone X has an X, so I'm calling it the X. Uh, there's, there's just, there's no way I'm calling it the, I'm calling it the 10. And you can mock me all you want, but I'm not going to do it. Okay, we have serious things to talk about when we come back. Believe it or not, the U.S. GDP has grown 3% in the third quarter. And of course, the left says Barack Obama deserves the credit. It's kind of funny. Um, and it is Eric Erickson here, 40 after the hour. It's, it's kind of funny that I keep hearing from people who are experts. And by experts, I mean, these are people who are academic economists and uh, financial guys who study the markets all the time, and they are worried about an economic downturn. They really are worried um, that something bad is coming to the economy. Uh, meanwhile, I keep seeing surveys that consumer confidence is up and people are more optimistic than ever before. You would never know that from social media before, which is another commentary on social media. Um, but uh, the economy has grown now two quarters in a row, 3% economic growth, despite the hurricanes. 
I mean, this from the uh, Wall Street Journal, the U.S. economy posted its best six-month stretch of growth in three years, rebounding quickly from two hurricanes, showing momentum headed into the final quarters. Gross domestic product, the broadest measure of goods and services made in the U.S., expanded to a 3% annual rate in the third quarter. Output grew at a 3.1% rate in the second quarter. The last time the economy strung together two quarters of at least 3% growth was mid-2014. Too early to know about a trend, Uh, but households continue to step up spending. Their spirits are boosted. There's low unemployment. There's low inflation. There's a booming stock market. Businesses are shelling out more for long-term projects. Uh, It looks good, and yet there is growing among the experts pessimism. I am on the pessimistic camp side. I just, I see people at each other's throat, and I know part of it is being on social media so much. But I see the Republicans doing nothing in Washington. They're at each other's throats. The Democrats are now at each other's throats. The Democrats and Republicans are at each other's throats. Um, And I just, I think something not good is coming. Uh, In fact, I was telling my wife the other day, we need to focus on paying off all of our debts that we can. Because I just, I'm suddenly, I'm pessimistic about the economy. Now, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. And I don't mean to, to, to be the party pooper and rain on anybody's parade. Um, but I just, while the good times are here, do what is, can be done to pay down as many debts as possible um, so that when the good times go away, you'll be prepared um, and save for the rainy day, I guess. I don't know. I just, I'm increasingly pessimistic and maybe I shouldn't be, but I am. Uh, I find that this is, this is me and my personality though. When everyone else is happy, I'm usually the one who thinks there's something wrong. And when everybody else thinks there's something wrong, I'm usually the guy saying, Hey, here's the silver lining. So it is part of it. Um, I I am the, the anti herd. When the herd goes one way, I tend to go the other way, uh, largely because I'm deeply skeptical of herd mentality and conventional wisdom. And that, that it all comes from observing Washington for so long. All the reporters who tout all the conventional wisdom, they're just so often so wrong. They really are. I didn't talk about this yesterday, uh, and maybe I shouldn't talk about it now, but I'm going to anyway. That is the, the sexual harassment allegation, sexual assault, I should say, allegation against George Herbert Walker Bush which is garbage and why we can't have nice things. Um, you, you know, I am hesitant to treat a lot of these things as legit, if only because in Hollywood and among feminist circles these days, you have a bunch of people who consider it assault and harassment if you open a door for a woman. But this one is just so absurd. The, the, the woman deleted her Instagram piece after praising Barack Obama and thanking him. Clearly, she just doesn't like George H.W. Bush because she sees the R next to her name and she's not that bright and uh, is, is a partisan hack who can't see beyond her politics. That, oh, he, he patted me on the bottom and, and told me an off-color joke. George H.W. Bush has been in a wheelchair for five years. He's got Parkinson's disease. Um, he can't keep his arm up on his wheelchair. And so when he takes a picture, whether it's male or female he typically puts his arm around the person and because he's in a wheelchair it's around their bottom so he tells them a joke to try to make them comfortable about it and she took offense it kind of does to in my mind undermine all the people who have legitimate sexual harassment and sexual assault concerns when uh, someone like this comes forward and says an 89 year old in a wheelchair with parkinson's patted me on the bottom and it was sexual assault this is why people don't want to treat these things seriously here's the other thing though And this is, people are not going to like me saying this, but it's true. 
the bad guys are the actual harassers, assaulters, uh, the, the Harvey Weinsteins, the Mark Halperins of the world and whatnot. But as long as there are women willing to sleep with men to get ahead and men willing to let it happen, um, you have a large group of enablers who also deserve some level of responsibility. It's not the same level of responsibility as the actual harasser, assaulter, rapist, but there is some level of responsibility there. No one wants to nuance that and no one wants to say it, but you know, if you got all these people who are willing to sleep with someone to get ahead, it just convinces the person they're willing to sleep with that, hey, I, I can do this with more people. It's like feeding the alligators. You feed the alligator, you do bear some level of responsibility when the alligator eats your kid, eats someone else's kid. Uh, you may not be the person who's in trouble like the alligator because you didn't eat the kid, but you certainly convince the alligator that, oh, this is possible. There's food here. Uh, yeah, but no one wants to nuance these things. But there are some people who have played a role and they're still being protected. My publisher has asked me to tell you guys um, that you should order my book if you haven't uh, by texting the word WAKE. W-A-K-E to 444 uh, Why? Because it's still out there for holiday season, a great book for your parental unit or your child. Um, you know, someone who just recently had a kid, it's the perfect book for them. It's non-political and lots of great recipes. Including, you know, yesterday at theresurgent.com, I put up my salsa recipe that's in the book. One of the things I pointed out is that you make that salsa recipe, it's going to improve your life more than Donald Trump has in the last nine months because he really hasn't done uh, major things in the last nine months. No one's life has been improved measurably by Republicans or Democrats in the last uh, nine months. The level of hysteria by the left over Donald Trump is disproportionate to what he's actually done. Sure, he's rolled back some regulations by the Obama administration. Big whoop. Um, you're not feeling the impact of really any of those regulations. And yet, and yet, some of you think the world has come to an end. I'm just really... The level of hysteria there, and it is on both sides, but I think more so on the left right now, uh, really is disproportionate to what's happening in the country. And it's really hard to take people seriously when they're crying wolf all the time over this stuff. Um, I, I don't see any reason for people to be so outraged by stuff like that. And then, of course, there's so much of the left that is just completely unhinged these days. You know, it's like this conversation I, I, Bill Maher and I had the other night on his TV show where he said, that, well, the Klan calls themselves Christian, so they must be. No, I, it, just because people assign themselves labels, I think we have an obligation to stand up and speak boldly and clearly uh, that their label is not accurate. The Klan is not a Christian organization. Um, your daughter is not actually your son. She's your daughter. Just because she wants to believe she's a boy and you want to coddle her, no. Labels have real meaning, and we should not allow people um, through through all sorts of reasons, bad motivations, uh, mental health issues or whatnot, to co-op someone else's label. Absolutely shouldn't do that, and yet so many people are. We've got to be clear in the world, folks. Uh, there's a clear witness out there, and too many people are muddying the waters. Intentionally so, I think, muddying the waters. If nothing else, that's one reason why I like doing this program. For two hours, I can try to unmuddy the waters, filter things out for you, uh, and put your eyes and mind and heart on what really matters. So hopefully I've done that some today. I'm out of time. You guys have a great weekend. I will see you Monday.